episode 15 with Rosemary Siemens. Uh, I really enjoyed this interview. I wanted to uh, make sure I had a chance to interview Rosemary when I was in Vancouver, and she happened to be in town. We made it work. Uh, she's fascinating. She's a fantastic violinist. Uh, she's got her social game uh, on point, and I really enjoyed uh, finding about her career and sitting down and chatting. So uh, sit back and relax, and let's get this thing rolling. <laughs> Okay, we're rolling, and uh, we're in Burnaby. Yes, we are. This place is awesome. Thank you. And we're here with Rosemary. It's really uh, neat to meet you. And uh, meet you. I have to admit, you're the one of the coolest people on my Instagram Aww. page. <laughs> and uh, so when I knew I was coming out here, I said, i got to reach out. And uh, I thought, yeah, I'd love to interview you. And, awesome. Um, you have a really interesting life. and and you're a great player and thank you um and i enjoy your you've got the instagram and facebook thing down well we try it's a full-time job it is isn't it <laughs> absolutely holy smokes i know i'm thinking i can't i can't keep up with all that but i you tried get, you I, get home from a gala at 11 p.m and then you're supposed to post yet but it's it takes that dedication yeah so you're a manitoba <laughs> girl right were you born plum yeah. coulee manitoba yes yeah. very small town in southern manitoba uh, and parents are farmers. Yes. My yeah. dad is 80 years old, still farms full time. And my mom was a music teacher. Oh, was she? Yep. So what did she, what's her main instrument? Piano, Piano. And she conducted a lot of choirs, but she started me, she heard me sing at like one and two. And she knew that I, she thought I had perfect pitch at that point. And so she, at three years old, I remember my first memory was sitting in the kitchen and she says, do you want to take violin lessons? And I was like, sure. And she taught me piano from three as well. And she found a violin teacher for me at three years old. And that's where it all began. And she drove me from that farm to Winnipeg, which was an hour and a half each wow. way. And she was, we were sometimes going four to five times a week from choir to piano to violin. Jeez. That's it was dedication. her investment in time that allowed me to do what I love. Totally. Yeah. Well, you can see that now um, that they, you know, they really invested in, and what you do, they're wrapped around it like crazy. And totally. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So three years old, mm-hmm. violin. How did you, did you start off? I started when I was four. I started with the Suzuki oh. method. I didn't actually no. do Suzuki, which no. I had, we used some of those songs, but it wasn't Suzuki me- method. And I started, um, my teacher, she had never taken someone so young. So it, was, she took, it took some convincing actually. Yeah. And uh and then I, my mom would teach me a lot by ear as well when I was home. So we would do a lot of hymns and stuff like that. And Sunday afternoons, I come from a big Mennonite family and we would get together at my grandma's and sing hymns with like 60 people. So you'd hear the four-part harmony. And so I'd start improvising on those hymns. And that's really where my love of improvising came from. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, learning at that age, do you have you have your first violin? I do. Yes, I have mine too. It's a little <laughs> tiny thing I love. Yep. Every once in a while, I got it. Where is it? I can't even remember where it is. I find it. It's like, so I look small. at it. It's so small. Um, I remember my first Suzuki little concert. I, gosh, I can't even remember. I don't think I even was starting in that course for more than a week or two. And my teacher said, well, we're having this little concert uh, and it, it was just not far uh, away. And uh, I went and played. And of course you start with that, with a violin that has no strings or it's just like a kind of like a fake violin. Oh, right? I've seen those. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the only thing I remember about the Suzuki course is standing on stage with maybe 30 other right. kids that are playing the violin. I'm the only one 
<laughs> has no strings. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I played that thing like, you know, I was, you know, I was making music and, and I was the hit of the concert because everyone was pointing look at that guy and oh that's you know, hilarious and i have i can take myself there instantly huh. it's that memory that i don't remember anything else about taking that suzuki course i didn't take it very long i i had a a teacher uh after that yeah and went for violin lessons and i started um i was more for me uh i did a little bit of classical yeah but i pretty well ran it right, right into being a country, country. fellow player yeah uh because uh, and then I started playing with my brother sister when we had a little trio and we were young. But that's awesome. Learning, learning at that age, I think I look back at it now. Um, it's important. I like. I think it's as soon as you get old enough to be able to do something. I think it's good to get absolutely. It in your hands. So it just becomes a part of you. Yeah, because yeah. if you wait, you know, people still are great players <laughs> when they've started learning when they're fifteen, sixteen, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But there's something a little different that when you've learned right from that early and it just become like you said it becomes a part of you totally so did you um uh i know for me i i entered fiddle contests and that type did yeah. you play much country or were you into no. more classical like, i did classical and gospel yeah because we did a lot of hymn. well as i said a lot of hymns and stuff like that i wish i would have had the country training that would have been nice because now i'm doing country music yeah. but um no just it was basically classical and then playing a lot of hymns and stuff like that gospel music yeah and did you have a chance to play any, did you have any bands or any groups that you would play with or is it? No, hmm. I was not allowed to listen to any pop music yeah. growing up. <laughs> couldn't get my ears pierced and couldn't listen to pop music. There you go, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> or couldn't go to movies either. But um, no, so I, but I played, my mom played piano, so we'd play together all the time. Yeah. And then we'd have like little duos and trios with my friends and stuff like that. But nothing until I went to college where I, then I started playing pop music and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. And bands. Yeah. So did you have the same teacher for a long time? From three to 13. And then I moved to a different teacher. She told me, okay, now you're more advanced. So you have to go to this other teacher. And then until I went, and then I had a teacher from 13 until I went to college. And then I did my undergrad at UBC in Vancouver yeah. and a master's at the University of Miami in Florida. Wow. Then another degree after that at the Vancouver Academy, an artist diploma. So I could have been a doctor. Yes. <laughs> so much schooling. Okay. No <laughs> Doctor of violin. Yes. Uh, so when you're younger, did you feel that you wanted to practice or something that you did all the time? I know when I was young, I, my mom really kind of got me going on that too. And she was, I always, I loved it, mm -hmm. but I was always, I wouldn't say forced, but there was always like, okay, you got to practice it's, oh, you definitely. know, this time. And you had to, you know, she sat and, and she wasn't playing anything at that time, but she would sit and go through every single lesson with me and, and uh, at that age, I think you like it, but you're still young and there's still other things, you know, I want to go outside and play. And Absolutely. There was a lot of screaming matches at home, I would say. Yeah. Yes. There was a lot of forced. And at the time, you would just want to be hanging out with your friends. And, and imagine you had to practice piano. I had to practice violin. I had to practice singing. I had to go to choir. I had to. It was like all consuming. And so and I was very social. Yeah. So that was. Yeah, there was definitely crying moments. But um, yeah, there I was a. <laughs> I had a few of those too. <laughs> <laughs> there was one point I wanted to quit. I remember I, I always loved it though. I loved performing and I loved competitions, but yeah. there was one point and I remember my teacher sat down with me and she says, you'll regret it. And I mean, that's what everyone says today. If they quit an instrument, they say, I wish I would have kept going. Right. So I'm just yeah. thankful I had people in my life that made me kind of keep going because if you don't get through that patch, well, most people quit, you know? Yeah, it is. And it's funny when you get older, you look back at that 
end, you're like, I'm real glad I had parents that totally made me sit there and do that and understood you had the skill to do it. And there's something there. Um, I think I see, you probably see it too. You see friends that have kids that play and, and you can tell right away whether there's something there or not. You always know. Yeah. yeah. It's an innate Did you teach it? Have you taught at all? I have taught. Yeah. yeah. The last few years I've gotten too busy with touring, but I, I, uh, I've taught piano and violin both. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you always see when there's something special there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell when there's something not special. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Those are the worst. I didn't do much teaching at all. Cause I didn't, I probably because I didn't have any students that I thought were, you know, warranted yeah. a whole lot. So I, you know, week would next week would come by and it's like, okay, you haven't learned anything since last week. And it's like, oh, this is a waste of my time. I know. And you feel it's a waste of the parents' time too. They're spending money Absolutely. and they're spending time. And, and if there's not, if it's not there, I'm always pretty honest about that stuff. I yeah. would say, you know, I don't think this is going to be the right thing. Yeah. And you see parents push kids a lot and that's in everything that could be gymnastics or sports or um, you spend all this money mm-hmm. and then if there's not going to be any interest at all, you, well, you wonder why, Absolutely. why you do it. But sometimes it's more for the parents than it is for the it kids. Is. <laughs> Living through their children. Totally. So you, you mentioned you had, <clears throat> would you say you had a kind of a strict upbringing? Very said, strict. Yeah. yeah. Very strict in terms of, yeah, just, yeah, it was strict. Yeah. But yet free. I don't know. Weird, weird kind of combo, but it was, um, I couldn't really go anywhere because I was on the farm. It's not like I could be in town and yeah. go be rebellious. That wasn't like that. So it was like, you know, a lot of great musicians come from Manitoba. I think it's because it's freezing cold. So in the winter, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And uh, and um, living on a farm, that's, yeah, it's, you're going to practice, you're going to play. And yeah, it's, it's a great way to grow up, I think. I think so too. I grew, I grew up on a farm. You did. Uh, yeah. Not a big farm, but uh, we did a little, my parents uh, bought a property in the country, uh, probably just before I was born they were just fixing it up uh, to resell and uh, they ended up loving it and, and moved there and the same thing I was talking about today uh, on another podcast there was nothing else to do I mean you go yeah. outside and play yeah. uh, but you weren't distracted by all the kids down the street totally. playing soccer and all that and there was this times I think when I got to my early teens that's when I really felt like I got focused on what I really liked and, mm-hmm. and I had interest in recording and so I spent you spent hours you know and absolutely when did you feel you do you remember a time where it went from being a chore to practice to really wanting to do it all the time hmm, maybe in college yeah like I might I sang in a choir at Mennonite children's choir from like maybe grade seven till I graduated and that I did a lot of touring with them at a young age so we went to Israel we went to to Asia to Germany all over and that kind of I love traveling and I, that kind of got the travel bug in me. Yeah. And so I knew that kind of, that I wanted to pursue music and I didn't know if it was going to be piano or violin. And then my teacher just said, you know, it's a lot easier to play violin because it's so easy to carry and all this kind of stuff. So that's when I decided to do violin, probably in grade 11 or so. Yeah. And then, um, but in college when you can really devote, like that's, you're there, it's in violin performance. So you're there to just practice and um, get better. So that's really, I think when everything kind of switched for me. Yeah. So you went high school to, what was the first place you went? University of British Columbia, yeah. BC, yeah. And how many years was that? Four years. Four years. That's a lot. And then from there? To Miami, University yeah. of Miami, three years for a master's. Wow. And then another three years artist, artist diploma. 
back in Vancouver. That's crazy. <laughs> That's a lot of school. I know. <laughs> and I actually, when I came back to Vancouver, so I studied with this world-renowned teacher in the University of Miami, Robert Rosek, and I actually, he was from Switzerland originally, and he would take me in the summers to Switzerland to, to study. And and I told him, I said, you know what, if you love Switzerland, you'd love Vancouver because you have the mountains. It reminded me, it was a very similar look. And I said, you yeah. should come check out Vancouver. So I brought him here. Um, and I introduced him to a bunch of people and he actually got a, a job offer here. And so when I was done in Miami, I was going to actually start a doctorate with him there. But then he got a job offer in Vancouver. So he moved back here. So uh-huh. then I was like, OK, I'll move back to Vancouver, too. And so um, but where he was teaching, they just offered an artist diploma. So I, I, otherwise I would have done a doctorate. So during that time, did you have an idea what you wanted to do when you were finished? There was an no. end goal or just or just music was your life and you just learning and getting better and um yeah i didn't really know what what was going to happen i know when i was in miami that's when i went home in the summertime and i saw my old piano teacher and i said we should get together and play sometime and he said yeah sure so we got together and we played some hymns and i didn't know he improvised as well and so we started improvising we played in church and someone said i'd love a recording of that and so we were like oh why don't we go record so we ended up recording is it three or four albums now we have here of hymns and Christmas music and stuff, just piano and violin. So that started kind of my improv stuff way back then. And then when I finished my, or as I was doing my artist diploma, I, uh, someone called me that had known me from undergrad and said, would you like to come play some gigs from the Canadian tenors? And so that's, I started touring with the Canadian tenors and that's when my touring really started. Oh, yeah. 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 It's interesting on a classical, uh, upbringing there isn't a lot of improvisation Mm-mm. it's you know pretty strict and for me it's the opposite where you know i started reading music and whatever and then you start playing fiddle tunes yeah. and playing in a band and there was there's no music you might get a chord chart um and that's about it so now i know i got a call a few years ago to play uh a gig with ray price hmm. and he always had three fiddle players with him and mm-hmm. then one was not able to make it over the border I think oh, funny. and uh so yeah it said all the music's there and you can come do it and I just sat there going oh gosh <laughs> I haven't looked at music for like a long time <laughs> and I just got nervous about it and I decided not to do it uh, and now I'm thinking I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it because it's not difficult it's right. just nice string line right. stuff um and but it freaked me out a bit because it's like I haven't looked at music for a long it's a time. Different way to think and play. Yeah. yeah, and but now, yeah, I think about it now. It's like oh, I should have done that, even uh, if I would have messed it up. Would have been a good story. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so, what got you improvising? Was this something that you're just interested in doing, or that was from yeah. playing with the hymns? Hymns, yeah, yeah, because they're such simple melodies. I think that's a great way to learn. Like, if people are learning to improvise now, that's a great way because they're simple. You can hear where the chord changes happen, and I was lucky because I had perfect pitch, so I could always tell. And that's, well, when I was younger, I didn't even know what perfect pitch was, but how we, I know now, but my brother, what he would do is he would be in the other room. He'd be by the piano with his friends. And then he'd be like, I'd be in the other room and he'd be like, Rosemary, what note is this? And then I'd tell him. And so it was like this fun game, but I didn't know it was called perfect pitch at the time. Right. But that really helps improvising. But I know probably a thousand hymns from memory. And so just making those more interesting is what got me improvising. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fun way to learn too. Mm -hmm. I know I was just saying that Eli would play a little bit of saxophone. Mm-hmm. The way I, I taught myself, I used to back before CDs, other record player of Boots Randolph, this yeah. country sax player and played, had this yakety sax. Mm-hmm. And that's the first tune I wanted to learn how to play. It's like, well, you don't play yakety sax 
off the top, right? You learn something simple. But I sat there, I know for you know days and days and put the needle down and it was difficult because you just have to listen to the first couple of notes and like okay start again learn it and it's like oh god it took forever mm-hmm. and uh but it really helped my improvisation chops because that's constant ear training and that's how most people learn that i know totally yeah it's a great way to learn so you finish up with your degree here in vancouver yep and what did you decide to do at that point were you unsure? Or? This is, you mean when I was done all my schooling? Yes. Okay, so that's, yeah, I was, then I was like touring full time with um, Canadian tenors. Canadian tenors, yeah. And then that was the first version of the Canadian tenors. And then the group that I was with, they changed their name to Destino. And so we just started touring full time through the US, through Canada. And so that's, that's really, that was my main touring gig. And so, um, did you like that? Was I love that. Yeah. That was like three, I mean, the group changed over the years. Started with four tenors, then three tenors, then two tenors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the solo tenor. Well, it was funny because my pianist and I, Roy, we have a duo, Roy and Rosemary. We were like, mm. it started like four, three, two, and then and then Roy and I started our own duo, and so now we're like tenor free. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should that be perfect. You should call it that. Oh, I know, I know. So, uh, yeah, so that was where most of my touring experience came from. And then with Roy and Rosemary, now I do a lot of touring and then I have a solo, a solo gig I do now. So the, the gig with Roy, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen, I've seen videos and stuff <coughs> of that online. It looks mm-hmm. uh, really great. Um, so how did that, how did that connection get put together? That was literally from doing this tenor show and they'd always give us a few solos in the show. So he was part of the show? Yeah. Okay. He was the piano player. Yeah. The last version of the, of Destino was Joey Nichefro, who's an amazing tenor from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, he just did a solo album in Abbey Road Studios in England. And um, Terrence Reddick, who's on Broadway, he was on Broadway in New York, and myself and Roy. So we toured a lot together. And so we had a lot of solos in that show, and then we just thought we should do our own album. And then that kind of took off, and then we started doing our own show. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great <clears throat> combination. You know, it's both great super players. And so was it, what was it like putting that show together? Was it a difficult thing or...? Um, or does it kind of come easy? Well, you know, instrumental music, I was like, how can we make this show super interesting without singing a lot? We sing a little in the show. Yeah. And so we went to a show producer in Nashville called Tom Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he is like a guru for this kind of stuff. And so he's all about creating moments in the show. Yeah. And so we went to him for like three days, played through all our rep and then told him our stories and told him everything. And then basically he helped us put a show together that's... and. When you create the right moments in the show, you know exactly here you're going to get someone crying, here you're going to get someone laughing, here you're going to get standing ovation, you know. And so once he worked with us, then we had a solid, amazing show. And so we've toured just this last year. We probably had about 50 dates through the U.S. And um, yeah, so we're really busy. And, you know, the song that we both kind of that our duo kind of. I would say it's kind of started from doing this song with Destino. It was um, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. We did it at all our shows and we ended up doing a music video for that. And when Leonard Cohen passed away, our video actually went viral and it has just almost 18 million views now. So wow. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that uh, was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Tom, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. Smart move to do that. Yeah. And I brought, I actually, when I, I just probably get into that later, but I have a country country group now and I brought my songs for that to him as well because he's just so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard when you're putting a show together because it's you sing it from your end right mm-hmm. and when you see it from 
the opposite side, it's always a completely different thing. That's always encourage everybody, you know, videotape your shows Absolutely. constantly. It's because you you'd be amazed um, what's happening. I do it all the time at our theater. I'm taping every single show, and I just go back and look, and it's like, oh, yep. I did that. Oh yep. gosh, and then you just little tiny things even, and um, you think it's working, but absolutely and people they spend so much time in the music but they don't think about the stuff in between the talking and stuff and that's what really that's what captures people yeah it's it, the storytelling yeah because it's i wouldn't say audiences are dumb i'm not going to say that that's what tom jackson says okay <laughs> okay audiences are dumb i just said it but it's true they don't i've seen it over and over again especially having the venue our theater where you've seen some shows come in and you see some of your musicianship sometimes. And I sit back and go, oh my God, these people are gonna freak out. And we've had a couple of times, we had this one drummer in, in the show and he was filling in, he's from Detroit. And it was for a kind of a rock, old rock and roll show. Mm -hmm. And this guy just does a show, there's no really set list. It's just like we're playing rock around the clock, we're playing an Alpha song, we're playing, you know, the standards that you think everyone should be able to jump in and know. Right. He didn't know these songs. And he lots of times he didn't know if, if we were in three, four, or six, eight. Oh, no. He was playing straight four, four. He had no idea. And he looked so intense when he was doing because he was sweating and just like, <laughs> like he had looked like his, a deer in the headlights right. look, right? And people came off during intermission, it came up to me. And I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. I could see, you know, a few people come up. And the first guy was like, yeah, that drummer. I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. He's fantastic. Oh, no. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and he, he was, I think he probably was an okay drummer doing what he knows yeah. what to do. But this, he had no idea. Oh, and, my word. But it was his body language. It was the mm. way he played. It's the way he presented himself. That people charismatic they don't know they, don't they know. just look they were looking at him and said wow look at that guy he looks like he's having a great time right. he's got so much energy right mind you he was just crapping his pants <laughs> <laughs> oh my word that is so funny <laughs> but it's true and i've seen it over and over again yeah. now where yeah you can spend forever getting every single note perfect and and playing super super fancy or over the top stuff mm -hmm. and unless your audience is super sophisticated they don't get it half yeah, the time but totally. they like the story that goes into the mm -hmm. song or they mm -hmm. like you know whatever way you can set it up or like you said as it gets to a point where you can hit them something fast and then bring it down and mm -hmm. something very emotional and mm -hmm. i think emotion in playing is way more important than playing itself absolutely and you know like roy and i do a really cool thing in our show where we we actually write a song for the audience and so we let's say we're in some city and we say, okay, we're gonna write a song for you. And we just say, give us words or descriptions, could be about your town or about anything. And so we get all kinds of all kinds of words from like rainforest to waterfall to snow to blah, blah, blah. And then we'll pick about four words yeah. and then we'll take them on a journey. We write, so we bring them into the, our creative process, which you don't get to see out very often. Yeah. You know, so that's really cool. And we also take requests from the audience, which they love because it, it puts us on our the seat of our pants, you know, and you never know what's going to happen. And it's really fun, but it really it really brings them into the show. Yeah. That's, so how long have you been doing that now? With Where Our with first album, Once Upon a Dream, came out in 2012. So it's a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. And you said about 50 dates so far this year you've been doing yeah. pretty busy. I see you mm -hmm. were on a 
you did some cruising we too? did some cruises as well yeah we did some we were the main entertainment for like a region cruise we did about seven cruises yeah yeah did you like that yeah it's fun yeah it's a little this sounds bad a little bit boring because like you you're there for a week and you play like two shows for 45 yeah. minutes each so if you're there with like your family and stuff would be awesome but you know otherwise you're just like okay cruise in here and uh yeah. but it's you get to see some beautiful places and stuff but yeah i've done a bunch uh the fellows I was talking to you earlier about the old and night show, Frankie Valley, they, they were on Norwegian for a long, long time. So a bunch, <laughs> bunch of the guys I know, they would be on for like six months, a oh year. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, I couldn't like, do that. No. No, not for me. It, it would drive me absolutely yeah. crazy. And same thing, you know, they would do a bit in the preview night mm-hmm. and then they have one show. And it's like. I know. And yeah. you think it'd be awesome. I mean, it sounds glamorous. Mm-hmm. And the first couple are awesome. But then I think if you'd have to do it over and over and over, it would get. It would get tiring. Yeah, if I was on a, on a ship, I wanted a, uh, a gig that I'm playing totally all the time. Um, and they have quite a few of those entertainers. There's quite a few. There's always a string quartet of some sort. Yep. <laughs> and they always seem to be Ukrainian or Russian. Or, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> and there's always girls are wearing really short skirts. Yep. And, yep. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's like every ship you go on, it's like, did I see your sister on the last? Yep. <laughs> But then they look, I always find they look just completely bored to death. Oh, never happy. Yeah. No. Because they're probably playing the same. I wouldn't either if I had to play in a string quartet and play three hour sets. See, that's like horrible too. So I think what we, I, we have a good, what we do. So. Oh yeah. It's, it's a great way to do it. And you know, it's, and it's your show. You can put together what you want to do. And as long as like a couple of year, perfect. Yeah. It's still special then. Yeah. I agree with. So. Now you've been branching out doing your country gospel. Yeah. Is that the way you want to yeah, categorize ins- it? Yeah, inspirational country gospel album. So what brought that about? <laughs> Funny story. So um, two years ago about now, I was at church in Vancouver and my boyfriend at the time took me for lunch for sushi. And I had just done a video of myself playing in the sweet by and by in a wheat in my dad's wheat field and yeah. our swather was coming behind us and it kind of looked like it might take me down but it didn't but the video went viral and so eli who I was for lunch with he said he says you know what he says this is your fan base like these people in manitoba and they're sharing this and blah blah, blah. he says and he goes and i think you need to like sing play and write and do kind of like an allison Krauss of canada kind of do an album like that yeah and so i was like hmm that sounds interesting and a few weeks later, I got a call from a lady from my hometown in Plum Coulee. And she said, she says, you know what? We'd like to put up a sign in your honor. And I was like, what? And I said, okay. So she, once she told me this, I kind of thought, I said, why don't I do an album, album that kind of pays tribute to the way I grew up and stuff and like small town living and the good hearted people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of where the inspiration came from. And so a year later, I had the album and we, the, the name of the band is Rosemary and the Sweet Sound Revival. Yeah. And um, the album I titled Plum Coulee My Home and we launched it in Plum Coulee on the day that they put my sign up. Awesome. Yeah. And Eli actually came and they actually made him an honorary citizen. Oh, nice. And uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, so that was the start of this whole new kind of kind of bluegrassy country album. Yeah. So putting that together, that must have been obviously you grew up playing hymns mm-hmm. and, and all that. So you've got that background in there but what was it like hitting into a little slightly different 
type of music. Yeah, it was cool because all these new things like from writing, you know, I'd kind of written a little when I was younger and stuff like that, but nothing ever seriously. And so I just I started calling up people and say, hey, do you know this? Do you know some people in Nashville I could write with? So I went to Nashville. I ended up getting like to meet like some of the coolest people like from Carl Jackson. He ended up playing on the album um, and writing with me on it. And um, he's Grammy award winning and he to- he toured with Glenn Campbell for 15 years, produced his last album. Yeah. And um, so wrote with him and it's a funny story. When I was at the University of Miami, there was a fiddle teacher that came in and I was asked to pick him up from the airport. And so uh, I go to pick this guy up and it happened to be my birthday. And so this old guy with this big beard and stuff like this and pick him up and I didn't know that much about fiddle music at the time and so and I remember saying to him I said oh it's my birthday today he's like you picked me up on your birthday he's like here's 20 bucks and I never forgot it mm-hmm. and then I saw him play and do this master class and I was like man if I ever get into country music I'd love to take some lessons from him yeah so fast forward to this and I thought man I wonder if I could have some lessons with him so I I found a mutual contact on Facebook and said do you have this person's number and he said yeah so I call up this this fiddle player and um, I said, hey, do you think I could have a lesson with you? And he says, yeah, when are you coming in? And I, I first actually I said, I don't know if you remember me. I picked you up from the airport. You gave me 20 bucks. He says, yeah, yeah, darling, I do remember you. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm coming in. I said, coming in tomorrow. And I said, could I have a lesson? He says, absolutely. He says, do you want to come straight from the airport? And I said, sure. So I go to this guy's place and um, it was amazing. He lives in this kind of little kind of cabin place and he's outside a big beard and He's drinking one of these bottles of Coca-Cola and he's like, you only drink the Coke that's in the bottles. He's like, this is the best. It's from Mexico. And he's like, it's the best (laughs) Coca-Cola you can ever have. And anyway, so this was the person I was taking lessons with was um, legendary Buddy Spiker. And he's like one of the greatest fiddle players ever. He started like he was one of the first people to Opry and like just played with you name it. Bill Monroe, all these people. Yeah. And so he became a very good friend through this whole process and he ended up helping me arrange and played on my album um buddy i think i called it buddy and rosemary's fiddle jam on there and carl jackson's playing on there as well awesome. so just open these doors to these amazing kind of country legends that it was a whole new world for me yeah. and um it just and i think what was the, the the coolest about this show is i had never in classical music you don't talk a lot we do talk in our Roy and rosemary show but it's even more so now and to be singing and now i love storytelling and that's become a huge part of my show and it's become a very it's kind of morphed the show has really morphed even from when I've started. It's really become an inspirational show yeah. and which I love that aspect. And it's actually gotten me into motivational speaking and this whole other part of my life that I would have never experienced had I not started this. So it's really cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, that comes hand in hand because that style music is about storytelling it is. And, and about real people mm-hmm. and, and, you know, coming from rural bird, I mean, Manitoba. Yeah. That's, you know, it just makes sense. Totally. And I remember um, I went to a Dolly Parton show here about a year and a half ago. And it was at, I think, Rogers Arena or something like that. And I remember her songs were so short. They were literally like two minutes long, two and a half minutes. It was all storytelling. And there were thousands of people there. And it felt like there was five people there. And I thought, this is like the greatest example of how a show should be. And so I really take inspiration from that as well, you know, because that's what it really connects people. And I'll never forget. It was the greatest show I've ever been to. Yeah, she's fantastic. So good. Yeah, she in the songs she, she's Amazing. written. Amazing. Oh, it's un- unreal. I don't have people that have no idea the material she's written. Oh, so freaking good. Yeah, and she's just one of those things above everybody else. You never see her. She just kind of also appears. She's yeah. on tour and doesn't have to. And totally, I can't imagine what her her um, 
checks that come in every I few know, months. I know, I know. Unreal. <laughs> it must be amazing. Unreal. So how did you uh, put together your band that you're playing with now? Yeah, it's sometimes different people, but I ended up, um, when I was working on some of the songs, I had some friends back home, Grace and Orlando Suko. I ended up working on some songs with them and wrote one song with them. And um, so they're, a lot of the time they're singing with me, the harmonies. Yeah. And then um, I met a guy here playing a church gig, um, Jay Leonard, and he's like the most charismatic guitar player you've ever seen in your life. And so he's my guitar player for most gigs. And then Sam Schwaquette here on bass, they're like extremely charismatic. So yeah. it's like... Yeah, the guitar player, he's, yeah. he's uh, pretty amazing. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be a show visually as well, you know, because yeah. I think that's really brings people in. And so I really try and get super charismatic people. But when I play in the States, I have some people out of Nashville I bring in as well. Yeah. And sometimes we have banjo, sometimes we have mandolin. So it, it kind of morphs depending on what's needed. So is your focus now a bit more with that or are you just it's yeah. a bit of everything i guess right it's a bit of everything absolutely um i just started a gospel youtube channel as well and but i think the sweet sound revival is um i'm getting a lot of gigs from that but it, like this last weekend was gala season so or this last week i played like from variety gala to i played ronald mcdonald house to um fraser institute you name it so we had so many galas this last week and that i kind of I did Rosemary and Friends, so I brought in opera singers from Toronto. I brought in, you know, yeah. so my life is kind of a mix of everything. And kind of when I get a call for a gig, I see what's the audience going to be like, what are they after? And then I kind of put the music that would fit best. And I love doing that. It's kind of like yeah. music curating, you know, and want you because you want the right fit. Yeah. And it's nice that I can pull on different things. So are you booking yourself or do you have an agent? I have or? a manager in yeah. Winnipeg, Dale Penner. He produced my album, my Sweet Sound Revival album, and um, he actually, yeah, he's he's an amazing manager, amazing. So I get the gigs and send them out to him, and he does all that stuff, and then I get to do the musical part. Awesome. That's yeah. the way to do it. It's really nice. Small circle. Absolutely. Um, so what are your plans now kind of ahead for for where you're wanting to direct? Are you just kind of taking things as it goes, or you have... Uh, three, four, five year plans or how do you usually work? Uh... How do I work? Well, it's different. right now I'm really focused on doing, I just launched uh, this gospel YouTube channel, which is up. So every six weeks or so I'm launching a new music video. And, um, and so that's a really awesome part because I have a really big passion to bring back hymns into yeah. today's society because you can't find them anymore. And I think it's like so missing. And so that's a big piece of what I'm doing. And then, um, I am going next week to Lancaster, Pennsylvania to hopefully book a U.S. tour for Sweet Sound Revival. And um, but I really want in this next year to do kind of I want to go to Nashville and do kind of a, a TV special like Rosemary and Friends. Yeah, I have this when I was on my U.S. radio tour. I met this guy. I met him on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen him. Charles Ritchie, organ player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. He's like yeah. unfreaking believable. And yeah. I said, so I said to him, I said, if I'm ever in the area, like we the said, bouncy guy. Yeah, we, <laughs> totally. So I said, we got to do something together. So I actually I was in Jacksonville. And so he came get this. He's like, I don't know how old, 70, maybe he came and brought his organ in a horse trailer, wow. lugged this 500 pound organ into the radio studio. And we shot like three videos together. And so our first one, we had over a million views on Facebook. And so I like, I love connecting with him, but him and Carl Jackson, and I, I want to do a special Rosemary and Friends in Nashville in a barn 
It yeah. doesn't have to be natural, but I want a really beautiful, almost like your setting, you know? Place, I know, that's what I was thinking when mm -hmm. I saw that. Because I want, because my whole thing is like country chic. Yeah. And so I want a barn, I want chandeliers, I want that. And then I want to bring in all these amazing special guests and feature people. Yeah, that's a great idea. In different styles, yeah. So that's my goal. Do a DVD of it. Your uh, social media skills are really great. Thank you. So how did that start? Um, what was the first thing you kind of hopped in on? Was it a Facebook thing? Hmm. Good question. Probably Facebook. Yeah. And then Instagram and YouTube. And I mean, way back it was, what was it called? MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. It's, it's funny. Cause I think, I think my MySpace account still is out there. Cause I never deleted it. It's still right. There. Mine probably too. I never, I don't think I even know how to log into it. Same. I had, a, I had a friend who, who thought if you had enough friends on MySpace that you'd become really you know his band would become really popular oh really so i'd be on tour with him and he just spent hours you know liking people you know whatever you did i don't yeah. think he liked it i'm not sure you, i can't remember yeah i don't know how it worked but he spent hours That's and hours hilarious. and hours and it did nothing oh my gosh and uh but he was convinced that you know if you got enough people on myspace and then myspace just completely died <laughs> that's brutal see I, w I sometimes wonder with that like is facebook going to be obsolete in a few years you spend so much time on these things or instagram or something like that but you just got to go with what is happening now and what people are following. It really, I mean, for me, I get a lot of work from Facebook. Yeah. Because people see me in different different venues, different, and they, they think, oh, okay, she could be fit for this. And I really try and be authentic and share share stories that happen in real life, you know? And I think that's probably, like, that's a big comment I've had from a lot of people that it just doesn't seem fake. Yeah, or not, yeah, not at all. I know you do you do a lot of videos or mm -hmm. you used to, I think more in the past where you just, wherever you were, you'd totally, you'd have your violin. Bring my violin yeah. yeah. So is that a common thing? Yeah. You just always have it with you? Yeah. I have my violin everywhere and I try and like touch people, inspire people with music around. I've had some really cool, really cool experiences from playing at the Coliseum. Yeah. I, uh, I was there for a gig at the Vatican and on the way to the Vatican, my dad's, my parents were there and he said, Oh, Rosemary, I'd really like to, I'd really like to come to go see the Coliseum. And I said, sure. I said, let's stop there on the way. So we go to the Vatican and I, or to the Coliseum. And I asked the tour guide, I said, you know, could I play a song at the Coliseum? And he said, let me go ask the police. And so he went, he came, comes back and he goes, he says, they said you can't, but I'm sure if you do it when there's not too many people, it probably is fine. Yeah. I said, okay. So we're done our tour. I said, dad, could you film me? And he said, yeah, sure. So I'm playing a song, wasn't really feeling it, didn't know what to play there. Finally, I think third song, I was like, okay, I'm gonna play Holy, 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 Iconic Hymn. So my dad's filming me, I have my eyes closed. Last note, I open my eyes and what do I see? Three policemen looking at me. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, and so they're like, come with me, come with me. And I was like, oh my word. And meanwhile, I'm actually on my way to the ambassador of Rome's house for a concert. Wow. So I'm thinking I'm gonna have to call him to get me out of jail or something like this. Yeah, you know, and so uh, and my mom starts arguing with the police officer that we're not done our tour. And I'm like, Mom, keep your mouth shut. You mm -hmm. do not want to be arguing with these people. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, my word. So we go to the to the office and I talked to one guard, second guard, third guard. And so finally, he took my phone. He deleted my videos, went to recently deleted, deleted those and um, proceeded to escort us out of the Coliseum. So, yes, we did get kicked out of the Coliseum for playing a hymn. And, but on my way to that security office, I had sent one to Eli. So you can find that on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got it out right away. <laughs> I got it. I got it. So that was really, really an interesting story. 
Well, it's neat because, you know, I, I, I saw a, a quite a few of them. And every once in a while, I'd say, oh, gosh, I wouldn't. There's something, my personality wouldn't do that, right? Hmm. And and I think I look at it and go, wow, that's really great. I yeah. mean, I just wouldn't, that just wasn't something I would think of doing, right? Well, it was so cool because I didn't realize at the time because I had my eyes closed. And I look at the video later. And the, there's a man standing next to me and he's just crying the whole time. So you never know how you're going to touch people. Yeah. And there was a really, I wanted to share one other story with you. There was um, this really cool, I was on tour in the U.S. And I was in Wisconsin Dells and I was at a Cracker Barrel restaurant. And um, there was this man sitting by himself and he had a veteran's hat on. And I thought, he just kind of looked lonely. And I was leaving and he said, are you playing here anywhere? And I said, no, but I'm on, off to the next city. And I was leaving the restaurant and I, my dad was there with me. And I said, you know, this guy just looked really sad. I thought... I feel like I should play something for him. And he says, if you feel that, go back. So I go back and um, and I said, hey, are you a veteran? He said, yeah, I am. I says, would you mind if I played you something? And he said, no, I would love it. So there I played, just by myself, I played America the Beautiful for him. And, you know, the kitchen staff came out and everyone came out and he was so touched. And I gave him a CD and I actually got an email from him the next day. And I'll just read you what he said to me. He said, Rosemary, what an honor it was for me to be recognized by you at Cracker Barrel in Wisconsin Dells. You were not aware of just how much it meant to me. The night before, I had prayed for God to take away the pain I was in, both emotionally and physically, and you were the answer to that prayer. So you never know when you do little things for people how it's going to affect them. And I think that's that's kind of why my one of my big goals, why I do music. I kind of have this play it forward, yeah. you know, mentality where that's the end goal. You just want you want to touch people through music. Yeah, and there's such a connection that way. I know at our theater, we have a loyal fan base there mm-hmm. and, and we have a lot of people who come, you know, we see them eight times throughout the summer or whatever. They come over and right. over again. And they'd like the fact that it's family and they like the fact that they can speak to you, right? right. Um, not secluded somewhere. Yep. And it, we get people all the time come up. Yeah. We feel closer to you than we do our own family. No kidding. And wow. Those moments, like the one you just said, and people come up and tell you those type of things, um, you know, really means a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, you could feel that what how powerful it is. And even Chilliwack the other night with this Hank Williams show we're touring with, there's this guy came up to me uh, and said, "Yeah, I just I'm really want to. I've never been here before to the theater. He's hmm. probably lived in Chilliwack his whole life. Right. Probably never seen anything at the theater he wanted to go to, but he wanted to see this Hank Williams thing. Probably grew up." listen to Hank Williams and uh and then he said yeah my my neighbor brought me and I looked over oh isn't that nice and and I didn't realize the lady next to him was a neighbor I wasn't putting the two of them together until she looked and she just had this big smile on her face right and I'm thinking how awesome is that he's your neighbor you know this next this older fellow he could probably be on his own right 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 and he wanted to see this Hank Williams thing and she brought him. That's so cool. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, that's why we do this type of stuff. Right. And that's the stuff that stays with you and totally, it means a lot. So, um, yeah, I can, you know, I can totally relate with those, those things. So you had an interesting story. I was going to want to mention about losing your violin. Oh my word. That was insane. Insane. Where'd you get, where's your violin? Where'd you, how'd you find your violin that you have now? So my violin is from 1714, um, made in Paris, was said to have played in King Louis XIV's orchestra. Wow. Um, I named it Sparkle and because I love sparkly things. Yeah. And, uh, and it was bought by a very generous patron. And it was purchased in Switzerland. 
at a very famous violin shop. And, you know, when I was studying at the University of Miami, there was an amateur violinist and his wife who came to watch some of my concerts um, in Switzerland. Okay, so as I said earlier, my teacher brought us to Switzerland in the summertime. And so they were there watching some of my concerts. And after one of my shows, he came up to me and he said, Rosemary, I want to buy a bow for investment purposes. I said, okay. I said, we're in Lausanne. It's the greatest shop in the world here where I got my violin. I said, I'll try some bows out for you. So I spent the day doing that. And at the end of the day, I said, Peter, found the best bow for you. And he says, you're sure, Rosemary? I said, yeah. He goes, it's a gift for you. It was a $15,000 bow. And um, he said, said, you know what? Someone helped me through medical school and I wanted to return the favor. And then he goes, go thank my wife. It was her idea. So I've been blessed to have an amazing instrument thanks to very generous, generous people. And so I was playing, about two years ago, I was playing at, the, in Santa Barbara for the Museum of Contemporary Art and I was leaving the gig was late and I had a very early flight for another gig so I go to my hotel room to get my bags and a friend came with me and my friend was carrying my violin because I was carrying speakers and come out of my room and I just said I said where's my violin and he goes oh I placed it outside to help you with your bags and I was like no violin was gone I didn't know what to do. I called Eli and because his saxophone had been stolen once and he said, call the police. So we called the police, went door to door, knocking, nothing. Went through dumpsters, went to gas stations, liquor stores, through the bushes, walked the streets, drove the streets and no violin. And so it was 4 a.m. and um, I needed to get on that plane. And so I was sitting in my friend's car and with a couple people and out of nowhere, a black SUV rolled up next to us. And Guy rolls down the window. He says, hey, are you the ones looking for the violin? I said, yeah. I says, do you have it? He says, no, but I heard about it at the gas station. He says, I have musicians in my family. I can only imagine what you're going through. And so my friend just yells over the window. He says, can we say a little prayer about the violin? And he says, absolutely. So here we are, parking lot, Santa Barbara, praying with a stranger about my violin. It was like a scene from a movie. Yeah. (laughs) And after that prayer, something amazing happened. The man... He said, he says, you know what? I work in the prison ministries in Santa Barbara. He says, I'm going to put the word on the TV, radio, um, newspapers, and I'm going to personally put a $2,000 cash reward for your violin. I was like, what is happening right now? Wow. But that gave me enough faith to get on that airplane. Yeah. And so I got on and um, I remember my first stop coming down. You know, you check your messages and you're like waiting, but imagine my panic at that moment. And yeah. there was no messages. And I thought, man, not only have they stolen this violin and bow, but they've stolen the beautiful story of how I got it even, you know, that yeah. generosity. And it was so disheartening. And I remember getting off the plane and I, I went to the gate and I looked down at my phone and I was just crying. And I see a text message come in from the hotel manager and, and she calls me and she's crying. And she says, you won't believe what just happened. I said, what? She goes, a man in a black hoodie, disheveled looking, wasn't staying at the hotel, came to the front door went to the front desk, placed my violin down and said, I hear you've been looking for this and walked out the front door. Wow. Now, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And I can't even tell you how thankful I am to have that violin. And I think, honestly, looking back on it, I think that that happened just so that I could share this story with people. And it's been such a, it's been such a testimony for my, for my shows and everything. Cause I can go from from a radio station to a TV station to a show in a bar to a show in a concert hall and share this story. Yeah. And um, 
and it's been it's been a it's been a beautiful thing at the time it was not a beautiful thing but looking back that's um and I have a song on my album called have a little faith and so then I share that song and I just say you know whatever people are going through in life whether it's a sickness or a relationship issue it's so important to just have faith to see things through so yeah it's pretty uh that's remarkable yeah (laughs) crazy yeah because you know most people don't realize the attachment to an instrument oh my gosh especially a good one yeah um and because you could have something else Mm -hmm. and it it never will be the same absolutely i I had a nice really nice bow uh uh you know probably like a six seven thousand dollar bow that i just loved and one day we were setting up and i had a road case uh for two violins Mm -hmm. and i just sort of had my violin sitting in the road case kind of upright and we were setting up for a show. My dad put a ladder on top, step ladder on top of the road case and was walking up to adjust some stage lighting. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, second step in, his foot slips through. Mm. Snap goes the bow right through the bow. No. Yeah, completely in half. Oh my <laughs> word. No. And I was like, <gasps> and it was like, uh-oh. Oh. And if it wasn't, that it was my dad I would have probably just I mean I, I freaked enough but yeah. it wasn't it's like what what can I do yeah. that was a mistake and uh, I love that you know that bowl was just like oh, oh gosh and I'd just been playing crap bowls ever since oh no <laughs> oh no a, a good friend a friend of mine good fiddle player his name's Donnie Reed uh, he's from Sudbury he's he played fiddle on all the Dwight Yoakam albums, and, mm. and uh, he's just mind-boggling great. And uh, just this quiet, shy guy, and he stands on stage. You wouldn't even know he's there, but he plays. It just blows your mind. And the one day, I said, I, I got to find out, you know, what I should get for another bow. So I went and asked him, so what do you play for a bow? He said, I don't know. I just get whatever I can. I just, this one's worth 50 bucks. No way. And I was like... Really? So, yeah, I don't. I don't really care. And then since then, it was, for me, it's been like I, I've been quietly searching, you know, for a bow every once in a while, but I don't put a whole lot of effort into it. Right. I just said, "All right, I just when this one's trashed and I've played Orange Blossom Special and run through it yeah, a yeah. million times, I'll just grab the next one and keep going." Uh, but I know when I play a good violin or a good bow, mm-hmm. it certainly you can play a lot better. Totally. There's something. It's especially yeah. important when you're playing classical music. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. it's just the sustain and the tone, co- like the color, and you can have so many different nuances. And yeah, it's especially important for that stuff. Yeah. Totally. I, I have a couple of really nice violins. I had a uh, slightly similar s- story. I had a friend that gave me a, a violin one day, just wanted me to drop by and said, uh, you know, I have this violin. It used to be my grandfather's violin. He played in the Toronto Symphony. Like, early 1900s and so all right you know check it check it out you always get i'm sure you get that too can you you know i got this violin up you know you open up there's one string on it and and so i checked it out and said yeah it plays really really nice you know it's a good violin so make sure you know you make sure you hang on to this one and and you know it's it's good yeah goes, it's yours amazing that's like no yeah he says i want it to be played and it's like I still don't know what to say to him, but 
I play it all the time. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Wow. Every time, and every time I pick it up, you know, sometime in the show, I'll, I'll think of the fact that I got this thing. Totally. Because, you know, That's some, so cool. someone just thought it should be played. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, they have to be played. Yeah. If you don't, then they just sit there. It's, I don't care who gets them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it should be played because yeah. it's just gonna, it's like an, a car. If you don't drive it, it's just gonna go. Totally. So what's, uh, what's kind of, I know we, we talked about future and, and what's, what's going on and, um, five year, 10 year plans. Huh. Let me ask you first. I'm going to go back and skip back a ways. Mm-hmm. You just had a, a boy. I just had a baby. That yeah. was a, how many people were shocked that that happened? Oh my word. A lot. I, I kept it a secret and between my husband and I, we had 175 shows between the two of us in nine months, if you can imagine. Wow. And we kept it a secret for most of that. And, um, how'd you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A lot of, um, new clothes that, yeah, I had to be very strategic. Yeah. I was on tour at, at five and a half months with my, with Roy and we had like 30 dates and he didn't know. Wow. Yeah. So what was your choice behind keeping it a secret? It was actually, I was getting a lot of calls for the fall and Christmas and stuff like that. And I actually, it was because I didn't want the work to stop. Yeah. And I was, it's stupid that you still have to think about that, but it was, um, that was the reason. I, yeah. And you know, I have a friend that's since become pregnant and she's told everyone that she's pregnant and she's lost all her gigs. And so yeah. I, in hindsight, I know it was the right decision. And um, I was able to, because I had a healthy pregnancy as well. I toured, yeah. I had a, I had a show a week before I, I gave birth and before my due date. And so I was very fortunate because that worked, but yeah, that was the reason. And then it just kind of kept going and going and going. And I was like, well, now let's just wait till the end. And then I ended up writing a song for the birth and r- revealing it through social media. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I know, because I, I seen it pop up. <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, you're flying through stuff. And it's like, and I was like, Urgh. I went back what? and go, what? <laughs> no. And then I honestly, to be the truth, I went in and started looking through some pictures. There's no I know, way. I'm sure a lot of people do yeah. that. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that's amazing. How'd you do that? Uh, and also been recently married. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a great story. Yeah, that was... The same place that we launched my CD in Plum Coulee, um, we actually, well, Eli proposed. It was pretty amazing. I was in my hometown and um, had a show and all of a sudden I see him in the back of the hall in a white suit playing saxophone, playing Can't Help Falling in Love With You. He's walking down the aisle and he gets on stage, gets down on one knee, takes the ring out of the saxophone bell and proposes. And um, it was a shock to me as well to the whole audience. And that video went viral. It was on MSN, on Yahoo. It was uh, everywhere. And so... I thought, okay, now we have this proposal that everyone's been a part of. I was like, we can't not invite everyone to the wedding. So I decided to do the wedding in my hometown, in the town square, and have a public wedding. So anyone could come. It was We had about 1,500 people, about 50,000 watching on Facebook Live. Wow. And we had 28-person wedding party, and they were mostly musicians from around the world. And so they sang themselves up the aisle. And Eli played me down the aisle. He played Can't Help Falling in Love With You as well. And then... We had a nine foot by four foot wedding cake for the entire town. We had um, a traditional Mennonite thing, raw cooking with watermelon and for everyone. And it was a whole weekend wedding. We had a parade. We had a concert the day before with all my friends that flew in. Cause wow. I was like, we can't have all this talent here and not showcase it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a production weekend. I can't even tell you, it was amazing. So when he showed up at the theater and started playing, yeah. what was the very first thought? you thought of when that you I that. figured 
Did you know what was happening right away or it just was like, what? The? Oh, well, I was shocked <laughs> and it was what the, and I was like, because I knew he had a gig that night. Yeah. So he was like, he was supposed to be, it was actually an hour and a half from me, but I wasn't, he was on a big tour with Five Alarm Funk. Mm. And so he was, I was not even planning on seeing him. He flew in secretly and all this kind of stuff. And he only could be there for 20 minutes because he had to go to a gig in Winnipeg. And so I knew it wasn't even possible for him to be there. So I was like, what is happening right now? I was very confused. And then, and he gets on stage and he's like, he's like, I'm not supposed to be here tonight. He's like, but if you have a phone, you might want to film this. So, <laughs> and I was like, then I was like, oh, I know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So how many people, did he keep it surprised from everybody or did there was? Everyone. You, everyone no knew? One, oh, just my one singer, Grace, she knew. And okay. so, cause that was his contact to know when to come in and all that kind of uh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. So we're probably on stage. It's like, just I need someone on stage just to kind of hold things for I a know, minute. I know. You know. So like, what is he doing? Stay still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome. That's a great way of doing it. And I mean, if, if you think of the perfect way for two musicians to it was perfect. Connect, yeah, it was perfect. And to be in my hometown, that so many people could share that. That was so cool. My mom was like, she th- she was like, I thought I was getting Parkinson's. I was shaking so much. She had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> and my he had asked my dad for permission, but my dad had no idea what was happening that day. So, oh wow. Yeah. That's great. So, you, and you guys have been doing gigs together? Yeah. 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 He's like, I mean, Eli is like a jazz, he's an extraordinary jazz saxophonist. He's played on the Grammys twice, played with Oscar Peterson at the Grammys, and um, he's amazing. But lately, we've been trying to do some gigs together, which is nice, especially with the baby now, is that we can tour together. Yeah. So, we just did a gig last week with the baby in Winnipeg for the 90th anniversary of Concordia Hospital. And we did a bunch of galas together this last week. And um, that's really nice. And, you know, the baby set, just turned seven weeks old and he's been at eight concerts already. Wow. A couple of red carpets. I'm like, this baby is destined. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see. Hopefully, he's musical. <laughs> yeah. As long as he doesn't become a drummer. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you meet Eli? How did that all yeah. come together? So, I was actually recording an album with Roy um, in 2011 and my producer, Daryl Bennett, I was recording in his house and who comes downstairs, but Eli Bennett, his son. And so we were recording, we ended up having him play sax on our album and um, we became friends, went to the same church and stuff like that. And then years later, I was having, I had a friend here from New York and I invited her out and I thought, let's make it fun and invite a bunch of people. So I happened to call Eli. We never really hung out like yeah. that. And so we just hung out and we had a really good time. And um, I, I said to him, he's 10 years younger than me. And I said to him, I said, too bad you're not 10 years older. I'd totally date you. And then I remember we left that night and he says, how about this? If we're both not married in five years, let's get married. And that's where the joke started. And it ended up happening. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we became best friends and ended up getting married. I, I girlfriend when I was like got 18 and 19 I remember us saying if we're not married by the time we're 40 yeah then we should get married and uh and she's a sweet lady but I'm <laughs> <laughs> glad that then she got married ahead of time <laughs> and if she's listening I'm very sorry I said that I didn't mean that in any disrespectful marriage but you just got to realize yeah that probably wouldn't have worked out yeah but uh no we, it was the best way for us both because we just after that we became best friends for long time and it just slowly happened yeah it's neat when you can connect with someone that's in the same industry especially when you're in music and not have 
jealousy or that's because that yeah is very easily because people are already jealous of the instrument right yeah and so when you can understand each other and build each other's careers up rather than diminish yeah yeah because you've probably seen relationships where uh you know two people are singers or something or whatever and one person starts getting successful and the yeah. other person is not yeah and it's like uh-oh, you oh you know it's horrible yeah and it's it's tough to get through but it's neat that you can perform together mm-hmm. um, and still have your separate things. Absolutely. And, um, and he writes for TV and film, so that's a really nice part of what he does as well. Yeah. And actually, my new YouTube channel, he actually produced the last two, two, three songs that I have done. So that's a, a cool thing that we can work on together as well. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Sweet. Well, I know I've taken a lot of your time. Oh, that's great. Um, but you have a great story. Thank uh, you. Great violinist. Where where would people best find you on their interwebs? Yeah, everything on social media is at Rosemary Siemens, R-O-S-E-M-A-R-Y-S-I-E-M-E-N-S. And you can go to rosemarysiemens.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. All of it. Yeah, I suggest you follow. Uh, always great, interesting uh, clips all the time. And Thank you. As I said, you do a really great job with that. And oh, I try. think people should look and learn how to do it correctly. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but as I nice said, it compliment. takes, you have to be able to do that, right? Yeah. There's certain people just wouldn't be able to do, you have to put yourself out there, mm-hmm. um, which is not always easy to do. Yeah. Uh, you got to be comfortable being able to do that. Yeah. Um, and it, but it really helps. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you think 20, 15 years ago, you can't do any of that. No, none of that. And now like my mom comes here and we do a, we do a live live stream of hymns with my mom like all these things that you could have never done and yeah. it's so cool that people can come like i love that because if you want to like i love doing the random acts of kindness for people so i can do that but i don't want to just share it with them anymore you can share it with everyone yeah and hopefully inspire a lot more people and podcast wise uh i've been just really just kind of podcasting with people i know mm-hmm. yesterday uh aaron Pachette was the first time i podcasted someone i didn't know but coming here today you know seeing you on on social media, I felt like I kind of knew you right, already, totally. right? There yeah. was, and that's, I think people, when they see that and come to see you live, mm-hmm. um, that's a nice connection. Because you don't have to gain that trust mm-hmm. or that they've, you know, they've got a connection with you already. And that, I think it, for the show wise, it really means more. And, and people seeing you for the first time, it's great for them to go and check it all out and become yeah. a part because they feel like it's continued. The show continues, right? Absolutely. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. And it's so nice also that you can be in touch with fans after. Yeah. You know, that's really cool. Yeah. Because there's some really great people out there. I yeah. mean, they, they're really some crazy ones, but there's also <laughs> some really great people that, that, you know, and travel to see you. And, yeah. and I'm sure you get all that. So, yeah. yeah. It was, I'll, I'll leave you with one cool story. I was in Hannibal, Missouri. Um, this winter and this woman came up to me crying after the show and and I was like are you okay and she just said she says I got to tell you something I says what she goes she says my sister heard your song have a little faith and she said her husband had just committed suicide she was addicted to opioids and she sent me this message that this song saved her life and she says and I came to your show today to tell you that and um you never know the power of music and um when you're writing a song, how it will affect people, or where it will go, and how it will touch people, and I think that's that's when you get moments like that, that's what it's all for. Yeah, that's what it's that's what you're made to do, yeah. you know. And then you realize, I am doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Well, it's a pleasure meeting you. Pleasure meeting you. I uh, love having you on the podcast. Thank and make you. sure you check uh, out all those social media stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing you play sometime. Thank you. Yeah, Same. Love to do that. All right. Awesome. Uh, end of day. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.